Well, welcome. Welcome back to, to TLR at home. I hope you're doing well. I'm excited today to be kicking off a brand new series called Living the Dream. Living the Dream. And throughout the course of the series, here's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. The life and the account and the story of Joseph as found in Genesis, the very first book of the Old Testament. Living the dream, it's the, it's the phrase that you hear whenever you ask somebody how they're doing and things seem to be going pretty well. It's the phrase that people use when there's nothing to complain about. It's the phrase that we use whenever life is going as we want and hoped that it would be going. Living the dream. But here's the irony is that we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph. And if you don't know anything about the life of Joseph, you're in for a treat because his story is crazy and his story is, is kind of unbelievable at times. But God gave Joseph a dream. God gave Joseph this God-sized dream that he did not fully understand when God first gave it to him. And yes, Joseph eventually gets to where God wanted him to be, but Joseph's journey to the point where God wanted to ultimately take him is the complete opposite of what we would think about when we think about living the dream. In fact, Joseph wasn't living the dream in the journey. At least it didn't feel like he was living the dream. No, no, no. Joseph's story, and it's so unbelievable at some points, is marked by one setback after another. And maybe you had heard the story of Joseph before. Maybe you have when you were younger. Like it's the Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors. The, the one where his brother sold him into slavery. We're going to get to that in a second. And if you've never heard that, you're like, what? That's in the Bible? Yes, that is in the Bible. The story of Joseph. But even though Joseph's story is marked by one setback after another, it's also a story that I believe will inspire faith in you and in me. And I believe, I believe the way Joseph lived his life and the things that we learn about God's character throughout the story is also something that will inspire hope in you and in me. See, and the crazy thing about the story too is of all people, for it to happen to Joseph, like Joseph was one of those guys that, had a lot of integrity. He was young and, and he had a lot to learn and he was immature at some points and even naive in a lot of ways. But he had integrity and he had a lot of faith and he was a faithful, like he was a stand-up guy. Like if you were friends with Joseph today and all the things that happened to him happened to him today, you'd be like, man, I cannot believe all this bad is happening to such a great guy like Joseph. But Joseph's story is an extraordinary one and it's actually an extremely relatable one because the story of Joseph is a story about dreams, dashed expectations, and how the sovereignty of God intersects with the real struggle of life. The story of Joseph is a story about how God honors uncompromising integrity when it costs you something. The story of Joseph is the story about how God can redeem anything, especially the bad for good. The story of Joseph is about how God uses setbacks, suffering and difficulty to prepare us for the purposes that he has for us. In so many ways, the story of Joseph is a story of me and you. That we've got hopes, we've got dreams, maybe even for some of you, God-given hopes and God-given direction and God-driven passions, but you feel stuck and frustrated because life isn't where you want it to be. You're not where you want to be. Life isn't going the way that you had thought. Life isn't going the way that you thought God was going to lead it. So here's the, the truth is that life is full of setbacks. 
You don't have to tell me, you don't, you don't need me to tell you that. Life is full of setbacks. And what I love about that is that it's a, it's a faith neutral statement. Life is full of setbacks. By faith neutral, I mean, it doesn't matter if you are a Jesus follower or not, your life is full and will be full of setbacks. Like maybe you had this career path and you're like, this is exactly where I'm going. In fact, I would even be as bold to say that God is leading me here, but you didn't get into that major program that you applied for. And now you're like, well, what do I do now? Setback. Then maybe you're like, okay, I'm gonna get into my dream school and this is exactly how it's gonna play out. But here you are and wherever you are, you're at your backup school and you're still reeling. Setback. And you're not sure what to do. You thought they were, you were gonna get married. Like the Pinterest board was done. Like you had it all planned out. You even knew who you were gonna invite. Like it was, it was all done. It was all set. She was the one, he was the one. And then you broke up, setback. And you're not sure what to do. Life is full of setbacks. Maybe there's financial issue in the family, setback. Maybe somebody got sick, setback. In fact, if we're just being perfectly honest, 2020 has felt like one big setback after another. In fact, if you're a freshman watching, your senior year did not end the way that you wanted it to go and your freshman year probably hasn't started out in any way that you thought or hoped it would either. 2020 has brought us a laundry list of setbacks, one after another. And if I could just add another layer to this conversation, if you are a person of faith, If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're someone that prays for God-sized dreams for your heart, if you're somebody that doesn't want to play it safe, if you're somebody that wants to experience what God has for you when you follow him with everything that you are, here's what I can promise you is that you too will experience setbacks. That as you are, in fact, I would argue, and we're going to find out as you're following God's leading, I think you're more likely to hit setbacks than if you're doing anything else. That just because you're a Jesus follower doesn't mean you're immune from setbacks. In fact, there might be some of you watching that you used to be a faith person and then you hit a setback, a major setback, and you didn't think setbacks happened to faith people. And so you decided to leave your faith behind because the setback was too big. Like I said earlier, I believe that Joseph's story is one of hope and one that I believe can inspire you and I to faith and lead us to figure out what to do with these questions that we have whenever we experience a setback. Like, what do we cling to in the midst of difficulty? What do we cling to in the midst of the setback? What happens to your faith and to my faith in the midst of a setback? What happens to the dream? What happens to your purpose? What happens to that thing that you thought you were supposed to seek after in the midst of the setback? I believe the story of Joseph is perfect for such a time as this. And so we're going to jump in together, Genesis chapter 37. But before we get there, and you can go ahead and turn there if you want in your Bibles. We're going to have it here on the screen, Genesis chapter 37. But before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of context for where we're going to be jumping into in Genesis chapter 37. A little bit of a history lesson, but it's really, really important. So back in Genesis chapter 12, God gives this guy named Abraham a promise. And he says, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That he's going to take his descendants, is his point, and your descendants are going to make one day a great nation. Now the nation that God was describing and talking about was Israel. The nation of Israel did not exist yet. And so he comes to this old guy named Abraham and says, hey, from you, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
So Abraham in his old age, which is a crazy story in and of itself, him and his wife, they have a son named Isaac. And then from Isaac, he has two sons named Jacob and Esau. If you remember the sermon I preached uh, this past room for COVID, the birthright, the bowl of soup, remember that? You need to go back and watch that guaranteed ways to ruin your life, part four. Um, but so Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then from Jacob, he's got 12 sons. And these 12 sons ultimately lead to the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And eventually the nation of Israel would be birthed out of these 12 tribes, these 12 sons. And Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob. And so that's how we get to Joseph. That's kind of where his family starts. But a really, really important thing that you need to understand is that God is going to do something special through Joseph. We'll get into details in a second. And he wants Joseph to get to Egypt specifically. This is really important. Just tuck this away for just a moment. God wants to take Joseph to Egypt for a really special and unique purpose that we'll talk about in week four. But God also wants to get Joseph to Israel because he wants to get his people, Israel, to Egypt to settle there and to grow there and to kind of get their bearings there. And eventually what comes after Genesis is Exodus. And Exodus is all about Moses. You probably heard about him leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt because they were, you know, unfairly treated by Egypt. And so here we are in this pivotal moment in history. Israel isn't in Egypt yet. God wants to take Joseph to Egypt for a really unique and special purpose. But God also wants to get the nation of Israel to Egypt. There, they're going to grow into the nation they will become in one day. Moses is going to lead them out to take the land that God has for them. So this is a pivotal moment. God wants to get Israel to Egypt. God wants to get his people to Egypt. But here's what you got to understand. You can't just walk into a country and say, hey, I'm going to take up residence here. Like he wants to get them to Egypt under favorable circumstances. And Egypt is the most powerful country in the world, led by Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world. So that seems like, okay, what are you talking about? Just tuck that away for just a second because it's gonna be really, really relevant in just a few minutes. So there we're gonna pick up Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse three and four. Now Israel, AKA Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So Joseph here is the favorite. Now, I've actually heard a lot of people like, oh, Joseph is the youngest. He actually was not the youngest of the 12 sons. He was son number 11. There was actually a younger brother. He wasn't the youngest, but he was the favorite. Jacob loved Joseph and he made it very clear to all the other brothers that Joseph was the favorite, so much so, that he gave him this ornate robe or the colorful coat as I tell my daughter when I tell her this story. And people talk about, you know, hey, Joseph must have been really arrogant. It's why his brothers hated him. Not really, I don't think that's how it is. I think Jacob made it so clear that Joseph was the favorite that every other brother was jealous. So really I put a lot of the blame on his dad, Jacob for uh, favoritism, okay? But it's very clear that his brothers don't like Joseph. And they don't like him because clearly he is the favorite of their father, Jacob. 
But then we get to this point in the story that really um, builds the tension that leads to the climax of the part of the story we're going to look at today. Joseph, you probably remember, has two dreams. Joseph has two dreams. And one of the dreams is um, he's gathering, he and his brothers are gathering bundles of wheat. And then in the dream, the, um, the bundles of wheat that his brothers are gathering start to bow down to Joseph's bundle of wheat. And then he has another dream where the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, his brothers, are all bowing down to Joseph. So Joseph has these dreams, but then he does something kind of naive. He goes to his brothers thinking that that would get a favorable response. He goes to his brothers like, hey, I had this dream. And immediately when his brother's response is, hey, who do you think you are? You really think we're going to bow down to you? Do you really think you're going to reign over us? Again, I've heard it taught. Joseph was so immature. He was trying to flaunt this over those brothers. Again, I really don't think so. I think Joseph was just trying to have a conversation with his brothers and told them about this dream that he had. And in their minds, hey, you're not only the favorite, but now you think you're gonna rule over us? Who do you think you are? And they hated him even more. Now we're gonna to get to it in just a second. But God gave Joseph those dreams. And in those dreams, God was choosing Joseph for something special, for a unique purpose. Joseph did not fully understand what, but those dreams were not an accident. Those dreams were not because Joseph was so full of himself. No, no, God chose Joseph for something. When he brought it to his brothers, it led to more hatred, so much so that they were ready to do something about it. One day, his brothers are out in the field tending their flock and Jacob looks at Joseph and says, hey, will you go check on your brothers? And so Joseph was like, absolutely. So he goes down to check on his brothers. He travels out wherever they are out into the field with their flocks and his brothers see Joseph coming from a distance. And we'll pick up the story in verse 26. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of him and his dreams. Zero to 60. I mean, their hate has boiled up to the point of evil where they want to now kill their brother because they could not handle his dream. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. So he had one good brother. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So they rip him of this robe and they throw him into a pit. And like, okay, dreamer, what now? You're still going to rule over us? In fact, you're going to be in a pit below us. And we're going to strip you of this stupid robe that dad gave you. So they're sitting there having lunch, trying to figure out what to do next. And then Judah, one of his brothers, has an idea. Like, <laughs> this is crazy. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, 
Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood and his brothers agreed. It's like Judah's like, hey, come on. He, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. So let's not kill him. I got a better idea. Let's sell him into slavery. <laughs> cool, awesome, Judah. Glad you grew a little bit of compassion. I'm not sure what's worse, killing your brother or making money off him by leveraging him as property and selling him off into slavery. But that's what they decided to do. Okay, we're gonna sell him off into slavery. His brother agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. Can you imagine this moment? And sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. They sold him for 20 shekels of silver. The fact that they sold him is one thing, but today, 20 shekels of silver would be worth 200 bucks. They sold him for $200. Like if my siblings are gonna sell me, I would at least hope they could get a little bit more than $200. It's like adding insult to injury. We're just gonna get rid of our brother and we're gonna sell him for 200 bucks. Then they take the ripped up robe that was on Joseph's back and they put some animal blood on it to make it look like it was Joseph's blood and they take it back to their dad and like, hey dad, we, we, got, some, we got some bad news. Um, Joseph was killed by an animal and, the, and Jacob immediately recognizes the robe and breaks down and is mourning the loss of his favorite son. And he was so devastated, he didn't want to look at any of his other sons. He got them out of the house and he just wanted to be alone. And he mourned and he mourned and he mourned because he thought his son was dead. Or so he thought he was dead. His brothers are, are high-fiving because, hey, we finally got rid of Joseph. Or so they thought. Hey, we, we, we finally don't have to deal with him anymore. We got our way. Or so they thought. You know, there's, I read this part of the story and I just imagine a movie and there's this scene happening right here and his brother, his, his dad is mourning and he's devastated and then the brothers are high-fiving and they finally like, okay, we don't have to deal with him and his stupid dreams anymore. And that arrogant little, like we're done with him, like that, that scene is happening here. And then the movie immediately plans, uh, pans over to the next scene. And this is how the part of this section of this story ends. Verse 36, meanwhile, this is happening over here. Dad's crying. Brothers are high-fiving. They're celebrating. Reuben probably feels a little bad because he tried to stop it. Meanwhile, verse 36, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The brothers thought they killed him and his dream and finally got rid of the, of the brother. But God had already started the process of redeeming their evil for 
good. You remember how I told you I wanted you to remember all that stuff about Egypt? How God wanted to get Joseph to Egypt for a really unique and special purpose that we're going to find out about in Genesis chapter 50 at the end of this series. And then remember how I told you there's also another little wrinkle where God wants to take um, the, his people and the brothers of Joseph and the, what would become the 12 tribes of Israel into Egypt so they could grow into a nation. But you got to get them there favorably because you can't just walk into a country and say we're going to live here. This is where that started. Did you know that dream? This is how the story ends. That dream that Joseph had where the wheat are bowing down to Joseph and the moon and the stars and his brothers are bowing down to Joseph. Guess what? That was God giving Joseph a glimpse of what would one day become true, that Joseph will eventually become the most powerful person in the world, that he will gain favor with Pharaoh and be right under Pharaoh, that Pharaoh will give him all rule and reign and responsibility. The only person more powerful than Joseph by the end of this story is Pharaoh, which makes Joseph the most powerful person in the world. It doesn't look like that's where it's gonna go. But when you know the end of the story and you start to see, oh gosh, here it is. They sold him into slavery, but, but he ended up in Egypt. And not only did he end up in Egypt, but he ended up at Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's not a nobody. No, no, no. He's one of the officials to Pharaoh. He's the captain of the guard. Uh Uh-oh, God is doing something. Write this down. You ready? The setback was a setup. The setback was a setup. The setback was a setup for what God was going to do. He gets sold into slavery. That's a really big deal. But God had chosen Joseph. And so this setback was merely just a setup to take Joseph ultimately where he wanted him to be to go where he ultimately wanted him to go and for Joseph to become ultimately who God wanted him to become. The setback was a setup. And the irony, when we talk about living the dream, the context we tend to talk about it in is in the, hey, life is going well for me. Life is going the way that I want it to. I got nothing to complain about. I'm doing all the things I want to be doing. I got the, the job that I, that, I, that I want. I've got the things that I want to be doing. I'm in the classes that I want. Like everything's working out for me. But here's the irony. And here's why I love this series title. And here's why I love it for this particular story is because Joseph, as he's being sold into slavery, as, as they're pulling him up out of the pit, as they're counting the 20 shekels of silver that they sold him for to make sure they didn't get shortchanged for their brother, as they're high-fiving because Joseph is finally gone and he's getting sold into Potiphar's house in Egypt. Watch this. As all that's happening, it is in the midst of all of that that Joseph is actually living the dream. That we think about living the dream as this destination that we have to get to, but the idea of living, it's a progression of, it's a journey of. And Joseph right now in the midst of this setback is actually living the dream because he's right in the middle of where God wants him. That living the dream 
isn't just about reaching some kind of destination or getting to the end or getting that thing that you ultimately want. No, 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 no. Living the dream is also the process. It's also the process of God molding you. It's also the process of God shaping you. It's also the process of your faith growing and you becoming ultimately who God wants you to become. So the second that he was sold into slavery, guess what? He started living the dream. And where God ultimately took him when he gets to be second in command over all of Egypt and ultimately all of the world. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And that's pretty awesome. But the journey there was difficult. And the setbacks along the way were difficult. But all of it was part of living the dream. Did God cause the evil of his brothers? No. But he redeemed it for good. And he redeemed it, redeemed, redeemed it, redeemed it. That's a word. Sounds like my daughter's talking, but he redeemed it for good. He redeemed it for his purposes for Joseph's life. Now, let me be very, very clear. I'm not saying every time you experience a setback, oh, get ready. Setup's coming. You're going to be second in command of your fraternity or whatever. I'm not saying every time there's a setback, something massive is on the other side. No, no, but I am saying every time there's a setback, there is room for God to do something in your heart and in your life. That every time there is a setback, I'm here to tell you that in some way, even if it's not massive by the world standards, God is going to use it in a way in you and to lead you to where he wants you. The setback was a setup. Three observations that I wanna leave you with, part one of living the dream. And again, just remember, we're gonna go through that, like the setbacks haven't even gotten started yet. Like there are multiple setbacks coming Joseph's way. So we're really just setting up the ball and the tee for the rest of the series. But three observations that I wanna leave you with, part one, living the dream. And the first is this, write this down. You don't have to have clarity about the setup you just have to have faith that God is with you in the setback. This is, this is really important. You don't have to have clarity about the setup. Like you don't have to have clarity about where this is going or where it's going to end. You just have to have faith that God is with you in the setback. Like when Joseph's getting sold into slavery, he had no idea what his dream meant. Like I know he communicated his dreams to his brothers, but I am not of the opinion that Joseph knew, okay, the wheat bowing down to me and, the, and my brothers, that means I'm gonna be second in command in Egypt. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm in, oh, this is great. I see, God, I see what you're doing. I mean, the pit, that was a hard fall. And, and you know, the cart ride as a slave for, you know, from here to Egypt, like that was kind of whatever, but I see what you're doing, God, I'm with you. Cool, cool, cool. So first Potiphar's house, then I'll get to the palace, great. Joseph did not know how this was going to end. Joseph did not know the significance of the dream that God gave him. He knew God was up to something. But what we're going to see in the life of Joseph is somebody who never lost faith that God was with him. And the reason that Joseph did not lose faith that God was with him was not because he knew how this was going to end. It's because he knew God was big. It's because he believed God was faithful. And it's because he had seen God's faithfulness in his life and in his family's life in the past. So this is so big. You don't have to have clarity about the setup. You just have to have faith that God is with you in the setback. And what we're going to find in the story is every setback along the way, God is clearly with Joseph. Because if you're looking for clarity for the setup, you know what you start doing? You start making stuff up. Oh, I see why God did this because of this. 
But what if he didn't? What if that had nothing to do with that? We start making up things in our head so that we can be okay with God. When our faith was never meant to be dictated by anything that was going on around us. And for Joseph, that was never what dictated his faith either. So please remember, write this somewhere where you won't forget it. You don't have to have clarity about the setup. You just have to have faith that God is with you in the setback. Number two, second observation, write this down. Why setbacks? Can't God do it any other way? Sure, God can do whatever he wants. But on this side of heaven, setbacks are unique and they serve a special purpose. Why? Here, write this down. You learn more about yourself when things are hard than when they're easy. You learn more about your faith and you learn more about your character and you learn more about your integrity and you learn more about your identity. You learn more about what is actually foundational in your life when you experience hardships, suffering and difficulty than when life is just going easy. And as hard of a pill as that is to swallow, you know that's true. I mean, when life is going easy, it's easy. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I love God. Like my dependence on God, if I'm being honest, if I'm not careful, my dependence on God gets a lot greater only when things are bad. I forget how much I need God when things are good. You learn way more about yourself when we're walking through fire. You learn more about how big God is when things are difficult and he sees you through. And you and I are refined in a way through difficulty that we will never be able to be refined when things are good. That there's a a refinement to our character. There's a refinement to our faith. There's a strengthening that happens. There's a growth that happens. There's a testing that leads to perseverance that happens whenever we walk through difficulty, yet never let go of our faith. You learn more about your faith when things are hard than when things are easy. And I'm telling you, watch this. The setback doesn't mean the dream is dead. You got these God-sized dreams or this thing that you, this life that you're trying to lead or where you're trying to go. The setback doesn't mean that that dream dies. No, 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 I'm telling you, the setback is gonna be where God prepares you for the setup. It's in those seasons when God is molding you and preparing you for what he actually has for you. Because you know what Joseph wasn't ready for in this moment? To be second in command. But by the end of it, he will be. And then the third observation, write this down. God will never waste anything in your life. He will use it all to grow you into the person that he wants you to be. God will not waste anything in your life. He will use it all to grow you into the person that he wants you to be. We're always focused on the destination, but God is constantly concerned with who you are becoming, not just where you are going. Um, a couple Thanksgivings ago, uh, I learned something about my mother-in-law. She's one of those people that never wastes anything. A couple years ago, we were doing Thanksgiving and we had carved up the turkey and we were doing leftovers and all that stuff. And I was getting the turkey carcass and I was ready to, to go throw it out. And she stopped me. She's like, Samuel, don't throw out the turkey carcass. I was like, why? There's no turkey on it. She said, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. I was like, for what? 
And she's like, I'm going to use it to make turkey broth. This is going to be the best soup you've ever had in your life. I was like, that's disgusting. Like this thing, this is, this is, this is, what, bleh, this is gross. But she did. And that, that soup was delicious. She took something that looked like trash. She looks, took like something that 99% of other people would have thrown away and she used it for good. I'm telling you, God will take the proverbial turkey carcasses in your life, the setbacks in your life, the difficulties in your life, the hardships in your life, and he will use it in a way like you could have never imagined. He will use it in a way to grow you. He will use it in a way to develop you. He will use it in a way to get a clearer picture of him. And he will use it in a way so that you might depend more on him than you did before so that you can be ready to step into whatever he has for you. He'll use everything and he won't waste anything. The setback is a setup. So what if we stopped focusing on whatever it is that's happening around us and started paying attention to what God is doing on the inside of us as a result? Like, what if we stopped focusing on everything that's going on around us and we started focusing on what God might actually be doing? What if in the midst of the setback, we didn't throw our hands up in the air and want to quit and give up and get upset and angry with God? What if in the midst of the setback, believing that there is something that God is doing, we started asking, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? And who can I help in this? Write those down. In the midst of a setback, what if we changed our perspective when we started asking the question, okay, I wouldn't choose this if it was me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask, hey, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I learn? How can I grow? And who can I help? I'm telling you, God has something for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's got dreams that he wants you to step into and fulfill. And if you're in the room, well, you're not in the room. If you're watching this and you're not even really sure what you believe about God or what you believe about faith and God's not really even on your radar, you need to know that you are on God's radar and he's got something for you if you'd be willing to lean in and follow his leading. God's got a purpose marked out for you. And the only way that we can throw all that away is by letting the setback take away from us believing that God might be setting up something bigger and better in you and through you. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to start changing your perspective. Believing that in the midst of the setback, there is a set that no matter what you are walking through, God is working. God is with you. And he's not done yet. For Joseph, the setback wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning of an incredible story. And I believe the same is true for you and for me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the account of Joseph's life. I pray that we lean in. I pray that we ask the difficult questions. I pray that we don't shy away from talking about the difficulty and the hardships of life. And I pray, Father, that in the midst of whatever it is that we are walking through, 
that you might enable us to find new faith, stronger faith, to believe that no matter what we're walking through, you're with us and you're working. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.